If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Thank you, everyone, who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. This week, we send out our thanks to Garth Rice and Michaela, who are our newest patrons. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everything you do to keep this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network going. We are waiting, dear listener, to give you a shout out on the show. All you need to do is join us over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Shouting it out. On the Major Spoilers Podcast. This week on the Major Spoilers Podcast, we are taking a look at Far Sector, the entire 12-issue series from DC Comics, N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell, uh, on this series. I, hmm, I think that this book can be read on multiple different levels, and I'm going to let you guys talk about your takes on this in a minute. But this feels like reading it feels like so many of the cop movies from the mid eighties to early nineties. And I don't know if you guys felt that same way because it's like, here's a rookie cop or a cop that has uh, been thrown into a situation that they're not accustomed to, or they've been promoted because they think that they're going to be the patsy. And through the course of events, they uncover a slave ring or they uh, figure out that the good guy is actually the bad guy. And the person that hired him is actually there to, uh, use them as the patsy or whatever it is. Right. This or entire the newcomers actually aren't the problem. It's, it's Terrence stamp. In a, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it really felt like Dick so Jones, many of those fired. Yeah. It felt like so many of those weird cop movies from the, from the eighties, early nineties. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys got that same kind of vibe from it or not, but on the very surface level, that's what I, that's what I took away from, from this. And I think if you're a fan of that stuff, you probably will kick, get a kick out of this. It's definitely there. And I feel like the way that this story deals with it being a Green Lantern story, uh, and I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by telling you that it doesn't. It basically tries as hard as possible to sidetrack any and all Green Lantern-y bits of it to tell the story that it wants to tell. I feel like that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I know. think it is too, because so the premise is uh, the furthest sector in Green Lantern territory, whatever that is, 3,600 or, or whatever. Um, rookie Green Lantern, Joe M- M- uh, Mulan or Mullen. Mullen. Uh, she has been, she has been tasked to become a Green Lantern. She gets to go out and patrol this, uh, this Dyson sphere. And she is given a special Green Lantern ring, that doesn't need to recharge. I mean, it needs to recharge. It recharges on her own, but she doesn't have to stick her hand in a lantern and recite an oath. Um, and so the more she uses it, the longer it takes time to naturally recharge. Uh, but that's that's the the gimmick for the Green Lantern part. And honestly, she doesn't use her Green Lantern powers that much. Right. right. And that's also cool because it kind of feels like, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like a lot of times when you're doing a, a prestige type story if your main character has like super super powers you do something with that like you know jesse custer in preacher 
didn't use his power because uh, he didn't want to. Waha. But here, you know, Joe has to kind of use her powers differently. She has to measure her response in a way that a Hal Jordan or a Guy Gardner doesn't. And it really, you are absolutely right. It really does feel like a rookie cop. My thing was Alien Nation. I, I can see alienation. I was also thinking, what's the what's the one with Kirk? Uh, not Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas, Black Rain, oh. where he's in Japan. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. I was thinking the Presidio well, when you said Michael. Yeah, Douglas. that also. That also. I mean, it's they're all. I mean, all those movies are formulaic. Rand, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that one of the things you know, people of course talk a lot about the Green Lantern concept as like you know they're like outer space cops. One of the things it occurred to me that when you were talking about. Uh, you know, so you know, Joe doesn't really use her ring that often. And when you think about it as a cop show, it, you know, you know, one of the reasons that the Green Lantern comics aren't like cop stories is that in order for you know, Green Lantern comics traditionally are like cop shows if the cops are constantly firing their yeah. sidearms. Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. So, You're right. What's great about this is that Joe uses her gun like a cop, which is to say, very little of the time. Yep. Well, and, and the fact that that walk around and shooting things the way the Green Lanterns walk around using their rings, you know. So, yeah. So she is a cop. She was trained as a cop. She was, you know. So yeah, she only brings it out when it's at when it's necessary. And you know, I think, and and of course, the story is is adult enough to not conjure up re like you know most Green Lantern comics are conjuring up reasons for Green Lantern to, to use the ring. Right. Because it's something cool to be drawn. She is mostly, if I remember, uh, she's mostly using her ring for shielding, mm -hmm. lifting, and flying. And then she does one bit where she has to jump into uh, the Matrix to do some shenanigans stuff. But it's not the like she's Atville. conjuring. Atville, come on. Get it yeah, I'm sorry, Atville. Yeah, she, at or, yeah, at Atville. Uh, she's not conjuring, you know, pterodactyls or, you know, giant baseball bats or anything like that. She's right. using it sensibly. I think, which is also neat, which is kind of a, a, a you mentioned that now, uh, Rand, about, you know, there's wild out of control police officers and then there's controlled police officers. That's kind of one of the things with Joe is that she got drummed out of the police force because she turned in one of her fellow officers who was just out of control and using his weapon as a bludgeon to just, you know, subdue a uh, uh, subdue a suspect, uh, and, you know, nobody that was even proven guilty, which is very much like. As you said, Rand, what the Green Lanterns do, they use their their rings as bludgeons just any time they can. And so here's Joe showing restraint because she doesn't want to be one of, quote unquote, those cops. Yeah, yeah I mean, certainly one of the things I loved about this, you know, overall is, you know, there's a sense in which you know, just about everything that's happening, you know, everything that, that we're looking at is, you know, we're looking at it through her eyes and it's very foreign and it's very, you know, uh, you know, I mean, even not only the, the appearances and the relationships, but even, you know, because a lot of the, the plot centers around the fact that these characters have had their emotions stripped from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so, you know, all of this is, is so strange, but yet every aspect of it can be easily mapped to our sociopolitical context. Mm -hmm. Yes, And so, and that's something that I think is, is really brilliant. At the same time, there's also such great, unique science fiction world building. So it's like, you know, like like the heart of it all, we easily can see how, oh, that's a comment on this problem that we have in our culture, or that's a comment on this issue that we need to address in our culture. But at the same time, 
you're, it allows your imagination to really fly free because there's so many, you know, the execution of these ideas is so unique and so interesting and using ideas that we haven't really thought about. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's really, it goes in both directions in a really pleasing way. Um, you know, like the idea of switch off as a, as an illicit drug, I thought was mm-hmm. really well done. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, I thought the issue that took place in Atville was absolutely outstanding. Oh yeah. I mean, to end- yeah. I um, you know, that probably is the standout issue for me because uh, it was just so, and, and it allowed uh, Jamal Campbell to really flex his muscles as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the art was, was fantastic. The st- we'll stop. There's, there's so, you know, there's so many different layers. Like I said, for me, it reads as an eighties uh, cop movie. Uh, certainly the best part about the sci-fi is it can serve as a reflection on our own societal issues. And mm-hmm. I'll admit that uh, I saw some things that I was like, oh, so I think they're here. They're talking about this, I think. But again, I am not somebody who is uh, of a lower class that is being forced to do uh, gig work or forced into, uh, quote unquote, slave labor in order to uh, fund a a uh, monetary system uh, in this in this far off world. So a lot of that stuff is probably for me not as impactful because I don't, you know, personally see it or experience it. And I, but I think for a lot of other people, I think a lot of the things that Joe is witnessing and a lot of the things that the three different species are dealing with, uh, I think will hit home for a lot of people in, in, in this, in this series, in this book. Um, yeah. Did you guys get that as, as well? Oh, absolutely. I feel like, you know, when you have a story that meaningfully quotes uh james baldwin and george carlin and makes it both work contextually you know that you're you know this is not just a pew pew green lantern superpowers oh my gosh it's necron t story you know there's there's a lot more going on here and i feel like the depth of what joe is dealing with is another thing that kind of feels like you know 70s story 70s prestige cinema like a Gene Hackman thing. Oh, wait, did I find something? But uh, here I am in the, you know, uh, Shirley Feeney is walking around in circles around a fountain in space. But that's also, I think, the real big draw here is that all of that is there and all of that is kind of subsumed into this murder slash adventure slash wild and crazy story in a way that we we kind of don't see anymore, it feels very, very retro and maybe a, a Rod Serling kind well, of Roddenberry kind of way that they're taking that social commentary and they're presenting it through the science fiction, right? And saying, "Does this remind you of anything?" Nudge, nudge. Well, and I think and that I that's think that really good. I think that's really interesting because in a couple of weeks we'll be looking at Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. um. Which also does something that this series does, where you're taking something familiar like a Green Lantern, but you're putting them in a far different place in a really, truly science fiction-y kind of space. And you're seeing how this person interacts with that world. And you can provide the social commentary with the sci-fi. And Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, kind of does that same thing. It's, we're taking Supergirl off of Earth and we're putting her into space. And now we're telling a true grit story with Supergirl in space. And so we can do these kinds of things with comics and with these kinds of properties. If the publisher is willing to allow you to stretch your legs a little bit, 
This yeah. doesn't feel like, even though Joe is still part of the Green Lantern Corps, this doesn't feel like a giant departure from anything that we've seen from DC before, but it's just far enough removed that if this series hadn't been as well received as it has, then, well, that's often in the far sector. It's not uh, uh, the, the, the main Green Lantern sector, so we don't have to worry about that story impacting anything that's going on in our continuity. And I, right. and I, and, this, and I dig that. This was presented under the young animal banner mm. with the vamp of doom patrol and mm-hmm. Cape as a cybernetic eye. That was all um, kind of, I don't know if it was edited so much as sort of curated or headlined by Gerard way. Yeah. From, Gerard uh, way. Mm-hmm. Romance. But I also feel like that's important because at the time that this book came out, we were still very much in an era where everything was locked down into uh, the Jeff Johns war of the lanterns era. And this was, this feels like something new, something different, a take that you haven't seen over and over since 2006. Not that I'm saying the resurrection of Hal Jordan was a huge mistake in a narrative misstep from DC. I would never say that. I actually believe that the resurrection of Hal Jordan and Barry Allen were huge mistakes and massive editorial missteps by DC. So don't misquote me on that. But taking taking this Green Lantern, taking this character, and doing this with her feels a lot like, uh, I imagine a reader might have felt in 1961 when you pick up your showcase and you're like, this isn't Alan Scott. Who's this, this new, this Jordan kid, you know, this isn't the green lantern that I've known for five or six years, but it's also really good. And in some ways, all I I feel like better than what we had. And, you know, maybe the people looking at those Gil Kane comics back in the day were like, Hey, what's that about? I don't know. Rand, what do you think of the uh, the the social messaging stuff that's going on in here? Is it? I, I think I this think is something that requires multiple reads and multiple different levels to really appreciate. Yes, and and I should admit that I have you know I did, I read this for the first time for the last week. Um, so yeah, I mean it is something I, I absolutely would like to revisit. I uh, you know I wish I wish I had read this earlier so that you know I, I was coming in here to talk about it after a second reading. But yeah, I mean, I'm one of the things. Like about it, I think comparing it to uh, Roddenberry's Star Trek is was apropos uh, because, in the same way that like I can watch Roddenberry Star Trek and think, oh my gosh, it, this is so, you know, it's so obvious as to be overdone. But then I can also, you know, I don't have to look very far in line to find people that are, you know, talking about mm-hmm. how Star Trek becomes so woke, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and so you know, I, like when I read this, you know, to me it was like, like I said, it was like. It was almost like she was drawing a map, you know, literally drawing clear lines. Like, see this? This is a comment yeah. on this social issue. This is, yeah. But I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are able to read it. And part of the, the the success of the story is that it can be read and loved and certainly enjoyed just at the surface level, you know, without seeing any metaphor, mm-hmm. without without seeing any allegory or or, or anything. Um, but I think when you do see that, you know, that that's when it really kind of unfolds and you realize, wow, this is a, mm-hmm. uh, there's just, there's so much going on on so many different levels, uh, in this story. Uh, and I hope that, uh, I know that there, 
you know, that, that uh, Joe is, uh, you know, a character that they're folding into the greater Green Lantern universe. And, uh, you know, I hope that that, you know, continues and is successful. Yeah, it'd be great if it was. Um, I think one of the problems that I had with this wasn't social commentary at all, because I was aware that it was there. I just didn't see all of the social commentary, uh, all the different little elements that are that are probably embedded in there. And so it does bear uh, multiple rereads. I think the thing that was maybe a bit confusing was that there were a lot of balls in play as far as the whodunit part of the story. Mm-hmm. That unless you were really, really paying attention, I think that there were bits that, wow, that person's the bad guy moment may have have thrown some people. Um, but that's that's pretty typical of a, of a detective type story. you got to go down multiple paths and backtrack to get to the to get to the reveal, at which point yeah. to the detective or to the hero. It's not a surprise, but it might be to the to the reader. Right. Sometimes you get to the point where Benoit Blanc is going to tell you what's happening and then you go back and you watch the whole first half of the movie again. But I like that. And I feel like when you get to the point that they're like, okay, here's your villain. To me, that reveal was really successful. And yes, I I agree with you. The first time I was like, wait, what? But I feel like if you go through and I've, I've actually, I, did not read all of these issues when they came out, but I was kind of flippy dippying through them and I had a various awareness of it. And then of course the, the future state or future tech, whatever it was brought Joe into mainstream DC. And I'm like, Oh, well I don't care anymore. But then I went back and I read it again and I was like, okay, so this is still really good. Even if that future state stuff was, you know, uh, terrible but when you do get to that reveal i feel like it's really well handled and it's another one of those moments where kind of like you know steven complains that a certain show is not uh rockford files because rockford files would surprise you at the end but it no nah, rockford files never surprises you at an at the end it's just slice of life type stuff Right, but they don't show you, you know, they don't show you a crime up front and then spend an episode unwrapping it. Right, right, right. And that that I think is the success of this reveal is we really do think we know what's going on and then we don't know. And then we think we know and then we don't yeah, know. Yeah, and that's what I said. That's that's kind of what happens in a in a good detective story is you think you know, you don't know. You have to backtrack. Your rug gets pulled out from under you in the issue where right. she and is, you know, really where pulled- whole room together yeah where she's where she's told hey go check out this address and she goes and checks out the address and it's like whoa this means something totally different now than the direction i was going and then you start putting those pieces together it's all wrapped up it's it's very very well done my concern is that because it is following those tropes and sadly i think sadly i think a bulk of um consumers of entertainment want things spoon fed to them. This is not a story that is spoon fed all of the little details. This, right. you know, today, today we see a trailer and it tells you everything about the movie to where you're just going to see the, the highlights from the trailer in the movie, uh, as opposed to, you know, a trailer from 30, 40 years ago where it was just giving you hints at what was to come. And then you had to go and see what it was all about. This is not a spoon fed story. And I think that's cool, but I worry that, for many readers who are expecting spoon fed, this might turn them off in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
I mean, you do you do have to work a little bit. Yeah. But it's it's rewarding work. And I feel like if you're willing to, you know, really put some of you into listening and, and breaking the story down and actually hearing, you know, what the creators are saying and what the really, really lovely art is saying. I feel like it's worth it when you get to the end. So it's it I don't know. I don't yeah, like to to I feel like what you say is something that I think all the time, but I don't like to say, well, the general public is is not maybe gonna get this, but I don't he, think it's he, and, No, well, I'm sorry, uh, you know and I think it, it, it's trickier than that because while I totally understand what you're saying, generally the the additional layer here is that well, the perception, uh, and, and I think the editorial perception, if not the authorial perception, is that this is being written for not just a mainstream audience, but a, a white mainstream audience. Mm. And you have an author who's trying to center, you know, a female black experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do in a DC superhero comic. Yeah. Um, especially, yeah. In so, 2020 at the height of that. Yeah. And so the idea is, you know, how do we, you know, how do you write something like that? Uh, and, you know, cause obviously the goal, you know, like there, there clearly there's all sorts of, you know, as we were talking, you know, social political goals and storytelling goals, but there's also, you know, the, obviously the creators of this wanted to be successful. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and you know, again, I'm sure we're all, you know, the three of us in the back of our heads are thinking, yeah, and it's three white guys talking about it now. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, you know, um, and, and so, yeah, so I, I think, it, you know, the, the thing is that I, I think that with all that in mind, I, you know, I think it's important to say that this is a wildly successful graphic novel. Yeah. All of these levels. I mean, it works as a story. It works as a character piece. It works as a piece of art that is beautiful to look at. You know, it works as science fiction and it works in terms of centering the black experience and aiming it at, you know, uh, uh, white readers. You can just say us. Well, I know. I think that that's, you know, I mean, it's remarkable in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a really, really good book. And I, would encourage a lot of people. And I think a lot of people skipped out on this when it was originally coming out. Um, I would really encourage people to pick up this, this volume and read it. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I think it is worth multiple readings. This is something you could go back and revisit, um, you know, every year or every couple of years and find some new bit, some social commentary bit that you didn't see before or some different layer or nuance that you didn't see before. You'll look at the art a completely different way. Uh, you know, each time you look at it, I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. I like it a lot. Uh, I am hoping as much as I would like to see the further adventures of Joe in the far sector, I do not want to see Beverly Hills cop two <laughs> in this book. Right. Well, because Joe is actually back on uh, earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, they could very easily say, Hey, guess what? She's going back to the far sector for another adventure. This time she's going to the playboy mansion and she's got to fight a big tall woman with a flat top. I don't, I don't want to see that. Robocop too. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to see that. Um, I like this book. We know what book Joe is appearing in and who's writing it. I mean, that that's, you know, you would think is important. The, um, <laughs> the last place I saw her was in, and I don't know if it was like, 
if she's actually officially a uh, face level character, but it was in uh, during the Dark Crisis. She kept popping up as one of the lanterns there, but she had been uh, the she is uh, was officially the Green Lantern five years in the future during the future state. Yeah, the, the last thing that it shows her. Let's see. Um, Infinite Frontier. Let's see. Green Lantern. One, two, three, four. Um, and then future state justice league. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's the future state version. That's the future version of her. Yeah. So that's, that's the only place where you see her at, but that's, that's not her, but but I'm saying that those are the only places you see her outside of far sector. I'm telling you that the DC wiki treats that as a separate character. And well, good thing looking- I'm not looking at the DC wiki, but yes, I see what you're saying, Matthew. I'm just saying, according to here are all the appearances of the character called Sojourner uh, Moline. Uh, here's all the places that, that this character has appeared. Okay. That is not up to date. So aren't you looking at his internet? Isn't as updated as yours. Aren't you I guess I don't, I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what he's looking at, but I literally read a comic with her in it like two weeks ago. So okay. trust me, there's a thing. But so who is, who is writing that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, bottom line, Matthew, for you. Go buy this, read it, read it several times, take it apart in your head, enjoy it. Um, the, the one thing I would say is um, if you're a schmuck, you probably don't want to read this. But then again, if you don't want to read this, you may be a schmuck. So yeah, I think this is a, a book that everybody can take a look at and enjoy. It's really, really well done. Rand, final thoughts from you. Yeah, I just gonna just just rewind it thirty seconds and listen to it, Matthew. Okay. Said. Yep. Yeah. All right. But in a rand voice. That is where we're gonna wrap it up this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you found value in this show, we would love for you to join us on our Patreon page, where you can find even more fun, including the Major Spoilers Podcast pre-show, where we talk about all sorts of TV shows that we've watched in the last couple of weeks. You can find that pre-show over at Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers. Rand will be back next week and hopefully Rodrigo as well. So until then, we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! 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 What a major sp
major spoiler, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.